0: You're all dismissed. Head home. <laughs> all right. How's everybody doing this morning? Yes. That I, uh, I'm just so full of joy this morning. Um, I don't want you to hear what we're talking about finances and think like, oh my gosh. Every, uh, but the truth is, the church in America... The church in this world is under attack. Can anybody look at what's going on in the world and think that the church, large sea church all over, is under attack? It absolutely is. And, and we are no different. I have prayed about this many, many times. The Lord has made an amazing provision for us to get this building. He has made an amazing avenue for additional funding through the the uh, event venue that we that is also a part of this Um, and that is that is taking off like crazy however it is a storehouse full of wheat the profits for that setting somewhere that we can't quite access yet because we just want to make sure we're doing it right but i spent a lot of time in prayer saying god I'll be honest with you, I'm tired of this daily manna from heaven thing. (laughs) I know you are my provider. I know you will provide for this church. I know that this is all you and all of your blessing. And without your blessing, we wouldn't have any of this. And I understand that every time the end of the month rolls around, you have made a miraculous way. But for 29 days of that month, I have been on my knees praying that you would make a way. Couldn't you just once make a way for a couple months down the road? <laughs> so that I can take a deep breath and relax. But, and you know and in the flesh, that's what I want. But you know what the answer was from the Lord immediately? I never promised you you wouldn't be under attack. I never promised you it wouldn't be difficult. In fact, I promised you it would be difficult. So I'm ready. I am ready. This church is ready. Our staff is ready. We are ready to fight the fight for the Lord because that's why we're here. I hope that's why you are here. And we all have, as Jim said, we all have a part to play in that. And if we all just do our part, we don't have to fight the giant battle. The Lord our God is fighting that battle. But we are his instruments of that. And so all that we ever ask is that we just do our part. Just do your part. That's all that we all have to do. God is good, and God is going to make a way. I have no doubt that when the Israelites were traveling through the desert for 40 years, they didn't say, can't we just get there already? I know there were moments like that, and so I don't see when I have those moments or you have those moments as any kind of a failure. It's just the way that life is, but we trust in a mighty God. Amen? Amen. We trust in the God who's going to make a way, not only for this church, but in our lives, in our hearts. and, And he has made a way, and that way is Jesus Christ and our faith in him, right? So as long as our faith is in the right place, it's not how can I figure this out, how can we figure this out? That's when we get into trouble. It's God has made a way, and we follow that way, and we keep our eyes on him. Anybody else see the latest episodes of uh, The Chosen? It just came out, the two final episodes in the movie theater. I know some of you were, were there with us the other day. Amazing dramatization of the scene where Peter gets out of the boat and walks to Jesus and starts to sink because he takes his eyes off of Jesus. He's looking at Jesus, things are wonderful, and he has all the faith to step out of the boat and walk, but as soon as he starts noticing the waves crashing around him, he starts to sink. It was, it was such an amazing scene. But the thing the Lord spoke to me is, keep your eyes on me. Don't look at the stuff surrounding, just keep your eyes on me. And that's, that's a lesson for all of us. So I am full of joy. I am full of expectation. I am full. We are forging ahead with our youth ministry, with all the different things. We got some more building projects coming up. Things are wonderful, but the church is under attack. We need to keep our eyes on Jesus. Amen. You guys with me? Okay. All right. Let's get on with the message. We have, uh, again, I'm excited about this message. I'm just going to give in and just start using the word excited. I try not to because I think I overuse it, kind of like exclamation points. Anybody ever gotten an email from me? I'm the king of exclamation points, like about 15 at least in anything but I'm just going to say, whatever. <laughs> deal with it. If you can't deal with my excitement, you shouldn't be here. All right. All right. So I'm going to start out this, this the, the, the works of the heart, like I do every week, just, just kicking it off. Has anybody ever known somebody who professes to be a Christian, but doesn't act like one? It's so easy to look around and see this world as like it's overwhelmingly in opposition to Christians. But I really believe in my heart that if everyone who professed to be a follower of Jesus Christ stood up and said, I am one, and I will act like one, and I will live like one, then instead of looking around the world and going, we are surrounded by enemies, we would look around and go, we are surrounded by friends who haven't chosen a side yet, they're not actively participating in this thing that Christ has called us to. I think the numbers uh, of people who profess to believe in Christ and be a follower of Christ are far more than we would see if we just went out and we're just looking with our eyes. And that's because so many Christians just live their lives not really acting like one. According to James... And just like the exclamation points or the word exciting, I'm not going to be ashamed of saying that if your faith doesn't play its way out in your life, then just like James, what's, what good is it? You have your personal salvation, you'll end up in heaven. That's great for you. But what about everything else? What about those people who don't know Christ? What about the church in general? being able to fulfill the mission of Christ. It's not just about personal salvation. That is a wonderful gift from Christ, but it doesn't end there because if it did, we'd already be in heaven. If your personal salvation was all it was about, the moment you gave your life to Christ, you would just be raptured and you'd be in heaven. Anybody ever think about that? The fact that it doesn't work like that means there's something for us to do here. And James was all about... Let me tell you what that something is. Here's what we are to do. And so we spent the first 18 verses. We're still in chapter 1, but we spent the first 18 verses with James very carefully laying out, here are the benefits of being a follower of Christ. Here are the benefits of putting your faith in Christ and living that life. And also, here's the downside if you don't. So he laid out the benefits and the dangers and the challenges in many ways of standing firm in the faith. So he did that for the first 18 verses. Now we have this dramatic shift, okay? We should all be on the same page. Just like James has got to be saying, look, we're on the same page as why we should be followers of Christ, why we should live a life that is worthy of his sacrifice, that reflects his sacrifice and the renewed life in us, we should all be living that. Okay, if we're on the same page now, he says, here's how you do it. Okay, so from this point forward, there is this shift into life. It's like, here's how you do it. And this is where we are. He's getting to the point. What does living a life in obedience to the teachings of Christ look like? What does it look like? In other words... This is where the rubber meets the road. If you're a Christian, you profess that, Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, here's what your life is going to look like, or what it should look like. So this week, James 19, chapter 1, verses 19 through 27. If anybody's good at math, that's only eight verses. Even if you're not good at math, most of us could get that part. I'm going to read it for you, just like I did the last couple weeks. I'm going to read it in its entirety. You can follow along, or you can just listen. And there are so many different points in this section. And like I was talking to, (coughs) Pastor Scott and I were talking about, he's going to be preaching in a couple weeks, and we were talking, who gave the woo? Okay, Okay. Scott, you have one fan. All right, hey, one's better than none, right? No, I'm kidding. But we were talking about this, and he's got a section that is that is it's meaty that he's going to be teaching on. And he was talking like I may need more than a week or a couple weeks to. We may need to break this apart into a lot of things. And we were talking about that. And I'm like, what you do with a difficult section of scripture is look for continuity, look for what was taught before, what's taught after. And even though it's a s- whole bunch of maybe seemingly disjointed points that are being made, look for the bigger overall point. And so when I read this through, listen for the individual things, but also for the overall point, and we'll talk about it. So I'm going to read it, James 1, 19 to 27. You know this, my beloved brothers and sisters, now everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For a man's anger does not bring about the righteousness of God. Therefore, ridding yourselves of all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. But prove yourself doers of the word, and not just hearers who deceive themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks at his natural face in the mirror. For once he's looked at himself and gone away, he's immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who has looked intently at the perfect law, the law of freedom, And has continued in it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an active doer, this person will be blessed in what he does. If anyone thinks himself to be religious, yet does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this person's religion is worthless. Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this. To visit orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself unstained by the world. There's a lot going on there. Did anybody pick out all the different things? And there's a way that they all kind of fit together. Let's take a look at it. First, a question. Does anyone here struggle with interrupting someone during a conversation? Okay, some people are pointing at the person next to them. And some people are honestly raising a hand. Let me add this, especially someone you don't agree with. What if you're having a, an argument or a difference of agreement, of, of opinion? It's hard, isn't it? But for those of you who do struggle with that, and I'm one, let me ask you, what's usually the result of that if you interrupt in the middle of a conversation? Does that person go, you know what, you're right. I don't know where the rest of my sentence went, but it's not important <laughs> because what you said, that's rocking my world, and I should just... I should just follow you. Has that ever happened to anyone? (laughs) Probably never. James is talking about this in our section today. He devotes a lot of attention, in fact, to what we say and how we say it because that matters, doesn't it? Things that we say. And I'll take that a step further because they didn't have that in his time. The things that we write, the things that we post, It makes a difference. So let's find out why. Let's get right into the scripture. James 1.19. There it is. You know this, my beloved brothers and sisters. Now everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. That seems like good wisdom, doesn't it? Easier said than done. Anybody agree to that? Let's listen to this. Hearing to hear. Everyone must be quick to hear. Hearing is much more than, the, than the, the process of sound waves hitting our eardrums, okay? That's part of it. Then once those sound waves hit your eardrums, your eardrum and all that mechanism converts that pressure into electrical impulses and sends them onto your brain, okay? You tracking with me? This is kind of the process of, of hearing, right? It's more than just standing there and staring at things while they bounce off your head. That's not hearing. It's a process. And so the rest of that process is when your brain takes those random impulses and pressure waves and things and turns them into a pattern that you can then understand, that has meaning to you. It's a meaningful pattern. But before it does that, or maybe after or during, it does that. It filters them through an internal programming that you have to make sense of everything that just came to you. So if you say something to me or you hear a sound, it doesn't always have the same meaning. I can hear a tone or a sound or something, maybe, for, maybe an engine is making a little specific sound. And through my experience, my internal programming, I can go, okay, that sounds like a flat lifter or something like that, whereas somebody else may go, it just doesn't sound right. We're hearing the same sound, but it doesn't have the same meaning, and the rest of you can hear a sound. Those of you who are with children can hear a sniffle or a, or a rustling of the sheets or a creak of the bed, and immediately that means something to you that it wouldn't mean to somebody else. It has to be filtered through your internal programming and the problem is your programming internally can be messed with we're going to talk about that here in just a minute has anyone ever noticed on social media some of you very proudly don't engage with social media that's fine but for those of you who do have you ever noticed that your feed it's called a feed for a reason right what you're being fed on your feed doesn't look like the next person's looks different. Have you ever noticed that? Gabe and I notice this all the time. Where I'll show her a story and she'll go, where is that? I don't have that on mine. She'll scroll through and she, I just don't have that. Her feed looks different than my feed. My feed is all puppies. <laughs> Pretty much all puppies. Pretty much all puppies. <laughs> but your feed is programmed to give you more of what you want. Stay with me here. Your feed is programmed by banks of computers to give you more of what you want. So whatever you click on, hover over, engage with, think about, talk about, that's what it's programmed to do. Give them more of that. Ultimately, it's all designed to sell you something, right? one way or another one way or another you're being manipulated now it's not just a rail against social media again this is where I want you to stay with me this process is important to know because your internal programming can be altered for the better or for the worse and guess who's trying to program your internal programming for the better the Holy Spirit The renewed man inside of us is trying desperately to say, those old ways are not good for you. Here are the new ways. Walk in the new ways. They're better for you. That's what the Holy Spirit is doing. But guess who's trying to program us for the worse? Satan. Satan and his demons are lying to you, they are manipulating you, they are trying to get you to filter your experiences, the things you see and hear, through what they want you to see and hear. And then our reaction is based on what they want us to react like, not what the Holy Spirit would have us react like. This is the point of what James is getting at here. Now take a slight, slight detour into what the Apostle Paul teaches about all this. He writes a letter to the Galatians. It's a great letter. It's called an epistle, a letter to the Galatians. I want to read you a couple of scriptures, three actually, out of Galatians. Galatians 5, 16, 17. Paul says, but I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the desire of the flesh is against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another in order to keep you from doing whatever you want. Okay, does that sound like what I just said? That's what Paul says about it. Now, what does the flesh want? Let's go back to this. Galatians 5, 19 to 21. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident. Which are? He's going to list them. Sexual immorality, impurity, indecent behavior, idolatry, witchcraft, hostility, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, Envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. Anybody notice that at least half of those manifest first in the things that come out of our mouth? The things that we say. Now, what evidence does the Spirit want to show in our lives? Galatians 5, 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And he goes on. Sounds better, right? That sounds like a better way to live than drunkenness and envy and strife and all those things. If your thoughts, if the words that come out of your mouth are leading to envy, to strife, to jealousy any of those things, that is not the fruit of the Spirit. That is the fruit of Satan and his demons lying to you. Anything that you think, say, post, read, if it's not one of those things I just listed off as the fruit of the Spirit, or that's not what you're getting in response to those things that we say, do, post, or think, then it's not from the Spirit. It's not from the Holy Spirit, that is. So again, James cuts right to the chase, right? James one twenty, For a man's anger does not bring about the righteousness of God. So why should we care about the righteousness of God? Anybody think that that's a worthy pursuit? The righteousness of God? Yes. I think we should all say, yes, it is worthy to pursue because Jesus says so. And he died on the cross to prove it to you. 1 Peter 2.24 says, He himself brought our sins in his body up on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you are healed. He died on the cross to show you how important righteousness was, to make that available to you. Because he said so. So now back, okay, let's go back to our to the scripture where it starts out about anger. Anger not producing the righteousness of God. What's the point of expressing anger verbally? Or in posts? What's the point? Anybody ever see a post on social media? And, you, and I know nobody here. Okay. So let's just make this theoretical. The trolls on social media. Okay. Anybody know what, what I mean when I say Troll? okay, you'll have a post about, hey, it's a wonderful day, isn't it? And immediately, there's going to be comments down below that say, well, it would be a good day if it wasn't for the UV rays coming through and frying our skin because there's been too much fluorocarbons in the air, okay? That's what a troll is. So the point of our expressing anger, let's say verbally now, Let's say you're having a conversation with somebody that you don't necessarily agree with. Okay, What's the point of becoming angry during that that conversation? Not you becoming angry. They become angry because you're exhibiting the righteousness of God and the peace of the Holy Spirit is over you, but they are exhibiting anger. Why would they do that? I've got bullet points for you. Six of them. To intimidate to intimidate others, that's the point of expressing anger, to manipulate the situation to demonstrate your own superiority to control a discussion to get your own way and maybe the, I think one of the most important, to make you feel like you are in control expressing anger, any of those sound like spiritual fruit what they do is ultimately they demonstrate a lack of complete faith in God. That's what they do. I'm just being honest with you. That's, if you are getting angry or someone else is, you're demonstrating a lack of complete faith in God. Because if we knew that God had that situation under control and I don't have to fight this battle, I just have to exhibit the fruit of the Spirit and I can, I can explain facts if I don't agree. Absolutely. But I do it in a loving way, not confrontational, not trying to manipulate or control. That comes from the Spirit. I'm not saying we can't have those discussions. We should have those discussions. But it's not spiritual fruit if that's what's coming out of it. Now, if you're waiting for a list of ways that you can do this, what it looks like to trust in God and not yourself, maybe a, maybe a magnet you can put on your fridge that will give you all the points. Um, refer back to the previous statement you're not going to you're not going to have that list only the Holy Spirit can show you moment by moment situation by situation how to show that fruit and James is going to go on here so stay with me James 121 therefore ridding yourselves of all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness easy to do okay we're all on the same page Rid yourself of all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness. In humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to, receive, or able to save your souls. Receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. Let's tear that apart a little bit. Here's our Greek lesson for the day. <clears throat> Depending on your translation, it'll either say ridding yourself or put aside or lay apart or it'll have different... But it's all basically the same word for ridding. And the Greek word is apotitheme. Apotitheme means to remove. And what it is, it's the the picture, it's the image of taking off a garment that's either stained or ruined or torn. Just literally take it off. Take it off. It doesn't belong to on you anymore. It's no good. It's stained. Take it off. Humbly receive. Humbly receive means graciously and consciously accept the gift. Okay? So that means you are, you are thankful for that gift. And it's a conscious decision. It doesn't just get thrown on you. And then implanted. The word implanted literally means to bring into a living union. In other words, it becomes a part of you. The example is you get, a, you get a heart transplant. You get a kidney transplant. It becomes a part of your body. It's no longer just a shirt that you're putting on that you can just as easily take off. It is a part of you. So get rid of all the filthiness, all that stuff. Literally just cast it away from your body and take on this new thing that is going to become a part of you. Now think about how grateful you would be. What if you needed a kidney? What if you needed a heart to save your life? Or maybe a loved one needed that. How grateful would you be when you received that implant? How grateful would you be to receive that new thing? That is the very sign, that kind of grateful heart that we should have when we receive the word implanted. We should have that kind of thankfulness, that kind of gratefulness. I know it's not always easy to do because we just live our lives thinking, hey, things are going pretty good right now. That's because every good gift is from Him. James goes on to say that, but every good gift is from the Lord. And if you're having a good day, thank the Lord. If you had a good thought, maybe a life giving, good, peaceful thought where you would have engaged in an argument or negative thought before, thank the Lord. For that word implanted in you. Thank him for that transformation that you're getting. Now let's move on. James 1.22. This is, this is the guiding scripture for this church. James 1.22. But prove yourselves doers of the word and not just hearers who deceive themselves. Now, remember I said there's parallels to what James is teaching to what Jesus taught during the Sermon on the Mount. Where he's getting these ideas and now he's helping helping bring that to life. That's Matthew 7. If you want to read that on your own, Matthew seven, twenty four to 27, that's the portion of the Sermon on the Mount. It's actually the story about the man who built his house on a firm foundation. When the floods came, it wasn't washed away. Prove yourselves doers of the word and not just hearers who deceive themselves. Jesus says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. It's not enough to just hear it. It's not enough to just hear it and walk away and go, okay, I've got it. I've got my armor now. We have to go out and live it. Now, here's a question. Is there a difference between doing and being a doer? Anybody? Yes. See, that was Easy. I wasn't asking you to pull out scripture in verse. That's just a yes or no. Yes, doing. Anyone can do something. If I were to say, okay, we are going to, as a church right now, I've got a bus outside. We're all going to get on the bus. We're all going to go down and we're going to feed the homeless. Okay? And you all, you all got on the bus and we all went down and did it. Great. We have all done that. But are you a doer? And what that means is, would you do that if we didn't organize it? Would you do that if somebody wasn't standing over you telling you, you should go do this? Or making an easy way, a convenient way for you to go down and feed the homeless? Is that just a part of who you are? Are you one of those people like, where is he? Why weren't you at church last week? I was down feeding the homeless. I was helping somebody move. I was doing what the word says. Which one's better? Somebody that just comes to church on Sunday and then goes out and lives their life like nothing ever happened? Or somebody who's doing it? That's the difference between a doer and just to to do or doing. And it matters. I said last week that temptation requires an act on our part to complete. If you weren't here, remember I said you can either engage or resist because you're going to be tempted. But you can either engage with it, in which case you have been tempted. There's that temptation in your life. Or you can resist it. Because it's going to come your way. So I said that. And I read, faith in Christ is not just the map. It's the actual journey. That's from a commentary I was reading. But I love the way it is. the, The way that it's worded here. But to receive the word. Receive the word requires a choice on our part. Just like with temptation, to either engage or to resist, to receive the word doesn't mean to just sit there while I speak the words and they hit your head and bounce off your eardrums. That is not receiving the word. To receive the word requires action on your part, and it requires a choice. What are the choices? Do it or come on. Do it or. Okay. Thank you. It's okay to speak in church, especially when I'm asking you a question. You have a choice to do it or don't do it. And just like, just like anybody Star Wars fans out here, okay? Teaching of a wise sage Always with you what cannot be done. Hear you nothing that I say. You must unlearn what you have learned. All right, I'll give it a try. No, try not. Do or do not. There is no try. If you remember nothing spiritual that I told you today, do or do not. Okay. I put it on there just, just to lighten it up and just, cut, but but it's all. Most of us have probably heard that at some point or another, right? It's something that might stick in your head. And so when you see that person across the street, you go home today, and you're pulling in your driveway, and you're like, okay, it's the first NASCAR, game, uh, NASCAR race of the season. That's today. I can't wait to get in front of my television and watch that. But you pull up, and your neighbor across the street is struggling to chip ice off of their walkway. Are you going to do the word or not? Do or do not. There is no try. I'll try to be a better person. I'll try to live the word of God. Either do or you don't. And so I want that little earworm to stick in your head. Do or do not. There is no try. And you can email me if that situation pops up in your life and go, that popped into my head. James 1, 23 to 24, that is. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks at his natural face in the mirror, For once he's looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of a person he was. Anybody read that section of scripture and gone like, huh? I don't get it. It's kind of a silly illustration that he's making that kind of almost doesn't seem like it belongs there. But let me try and make sense of it here. I'm going to make sense of this right now. And you are going to receive it. That's good. I walked right into that one.. Bam. All right, let me back up and make some sense of this scripture. All right, we all know what we looked like the last time we looked in a mirror. right? When's the last time you looked in a mirror? Just think about that. Was it probably this morning before you headed out the door or at some point, right? You know what you look like, but how often do you look? Daily, multiple times a day, weekly, monthly? Anybody here only look at the mirror monthly? Is there a chance that between the last time you looked in a mirror and right now, whether that was this morning or or. 20 minutes ago or 10 minutes ago in the bathroom, is there a chance your appearance may have changed between that moment and this moment? Is there a chance you've got broccoli in your teeth that you weren't aware of? Probably not because we don't serve broccoli as snacks downstairs. It wouldn't wouldn't be super popular. More yet, would you look in the mirror, see a coffee stain on your shirt, piece of broccoli in your teeth, something, you know, something left over from the pastry you ate, and just go, I'm good, I'll get it later. Anybody? No. You'd, there's one person in the back who would say, yeah, I'll, I'd leave it. <laughs> the point is, why, why look in the mirror if you're not going to do something about what you see? Why examine your heart Why have the Holy Spirit speak to you if you're not going to do something about it? And better yet, is there a chance things could have changed from the last time that you checked in? Something you should be dealing with. It's not just enough to go, I remember what I looked like. I looked in the mirror when I graduated high school. I was pretty good looking then. I'm just going to leave it there. And I'm never going to look again. No, we don't do that. And if you hear the word but don't do it, not seeing the word reflected in your life, is it possible that those old filthy habits that we're trying to put off may have come back on, may have started to cling to us again? If we hear the word but don't do it, how would we even know if it did? How would we even know? We need to live it daily in order to see it reflected in our lives. That's how that works. That's what James is trying to say here. James 1.25. But one who has looked intently at the perfect law, the law of freedom, and has continued in it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an active doer, this person will be blessed in what he does. He's actually quoting from Psalms, Psalm 19.7. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. And it goes on. James is very familiar with Old Testament scripture, and he's pulling that out. But he's not telling us, hear this, he's not telling us that strictly following the law of Moses is the key. If you just follow the law of Moses, it's the key. He's actually calling us to something higher. Higher than just the law of Moses. He's paralleling this again to Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. This is Matthew 5, 21, 22. I'm not going to read that for you now, but it's the one where Jesus says, look, you've heard it said, thou shalt not murder, but if you think evil in your heart, you've already done it. It's something higher than the law. It doesn't say the law is not important, but it's higher. It's harder to be a Christian than it is to just simply follow the law. It's harder. And that's what we're called to. James 1:26 If anyone thinks himself to be religious yet does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart this person's religion is worthless. There's that worthless again. James has no problem just saying if you do this your religion's worthless. I wish I could always be that bold. I can when I'm reading his word. If you can't control your mouth your thoughts your posts you're fooling yourself if you've professed to be a follower of Christ. That's the bottom line of what he's saying here. And I know it sounds harsh, but it's so true. Is there anything that damages a Christian's witness more than hypocrisy or lies? Because I tell you, whether they're a Christian or not, people see that and they know it right away. James 1.27 This is where it seems to be kind of unrelated here. James one twenty seven. Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of God our Father is this: to visit orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself unstained by the world. All right. If that's all it was, okay. He's done it right there. There's your refrigerator magnet. Okay. Visit orphans and widows. And to keep yourself unstained by the world. Okay, visit orphans and widows. If that's all it was, wouldn't there be buses all over the place driving around from churches serving orphans and widows? What about the second half of that? Keep yourself unstained by the world. That's easier said than done. Let me make sense of this. James is not limiting pure religion to those two acts. Widows and orphans. Okay, that's great but he's not saying those are the only two things. What he's saying at the time that he wrote this, in his culture at that time, who were the most, the two most helpless segments of society, widows and orphans. Neither one of them had the ability to take care of themselves. Neither one of them had the ability to to pay you back for any kindness that you would show them. Okay? Orphans had absolutely no sort of income. They relied 100% on the kindness of strangers. Widows, they weren't helpless in the worldly sense, but they couldn't own property. They couldn't work. There was a lot of difficulty associated with that. So what he's saying is helping somebody who is in need, caring for those most in need, selflessly providing for them without regard to their ability to reciprocate or what's in it for you or is anybody watching me do this look I'm about to feed a homeless person get a picture on Instagram that's the very definition of sacrificial love and that's what we're called to it's the definition of it it's something higher in our mouths the things that we say damage our witness in ways that I I think Satan himself would have a hard time doing. If you say one thing and do something else, if you profess to be a Christian, if nine out of 10 of your social media posts are praise Jesus and they're quoting scripture and they're all good stuff, and then the last one is something hateful or hurtful towards someone else, guess what the world's gonna see? Look at this Christian being That's what they're going to see. That is not sacrificial love. That is what James is talking about. Keep your mouth shut, sometimes in opposition to what you might want to say in your flesh. But if it's not loving, life-giving, if it doesn't bring joy, if it doesn't uplift, if it's not reflective of what Jesus would be saying at that moment, then don't say it. Sometimes, choosing not to engage in a fight that we think I got to make my point here because my point is important and everybody should know my point. Keep it to yourself. And in some ways, maybe that's sacrificial love. I'm going to put your thoughts and your well-being above my need to be right. Is there anything that damages a Christian witness more than hypocrisy? All right, I'm going to conclude. I'm over time. I appreciate your sticking around. Peter says this whole thing, says it like this. We're going to wrap it up here. 2 Peter 1, 5 5 through 9. Um, Now, for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence. And in your moral excellence, knowledge. And in your knowledge, self-control. And in your self-control, perseverance. And in your perseverance, godliness. And in your godliness, brotherly kindness. And in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they do not make you useless. There's a double negative. They do not make you useless nor unproductive in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For the one who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification for former sins. The idea of religion, the word religious has become such a negative in our culture. Does anybody out here go proudly, I'm, I'm a very religious person. You might among us. Would you say that out in the world? Probably not. What do you hear more often? I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. What they mean is, I believe that there's got to be a higher power, something more in control of this world, but religion sucks. And people who profess to be religious more often than not will point the finger at me or judge me, and I don't want that. Church, we have made that term useless. We've made that term a negative. The word religion in the Greek actually is this, and Kayla, I was waiting for you to sit down so you could write down the Greek lesson here. <laughs> the word religion in the Greek is thriskia, and what it means is worship expressed in religious acts. That's what the word religion really means. but Not, not religious, ritual. I blew it. Worship as expressed in ritual acts. Now you would say, aren't we supposed to not just do things by rote and and ritually? What if? What if our daily expression of worship to our God was self-control and sacrificial love? What if that was our ritual? What if that's what we just did out of habit? Sacrificial love and self-control. It's only possible if we live our lives in full faith and obedience to the Word of God. And that's why we study the Word of God. In other words, not becoming more like everyone else, but becoming more like Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. Thank you for the words, the, the sometimes hard to read, the straightforward, the blunt, Words of James, who says that if my life hasn't changed because of your sacrifice for me on my behalf, then it's worthless. Lord, help me to see that. Help me to see that in my life. Help me to see when I want to rise up and engage in a a verbal battle, when I want to rise up and take matters into my own hands because if they just knew the truth, Help me to see that I just need to trust in you. I just need to reflect who you are in me. And who you are is peace. Who you are is sacrificial love. Who you are is truth and light. Help me to reflect that to the world. Not the filthiness that James says I should put off. Help me to see that in my life and help me to set that aside because I want the life I want the righteousness. I want the peace that comes in knowing you. And I want those around me to know you in that way. Help me to be an instrument of spreading that love to the world. Father, I love you and praise you. And it's in Jesus' holy name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys.